Welcome to Psychopath in Your Life. I'm your host, Diane Emerson. Today, I've got a really great one for you. Um, it's going to be fascinating to look at what has gone on with security. How did the cops get started? How did the FBI get started? <laughs> the CIA got started? Um, and so, welcome to the podcast. We've kind of come full circle here. I'm very pleased with the move. It wasn't sudden. It was more of a thing that just had to happen. And um, now that the chains are off, I'm an, unable to speak in terms that I'm more willing to speak in, which is in whole sentences. <laughs> and also, you know, people get confused about why people leave YouTube. And it's the oldest CIA plot in the world that all these people say they're leaving because they're seeking the truth and stuff. So they usually leave and go to places like BitChute and all those other places. So don't confuse me with them, okay? So anyways, so I have done shows about controlled opposition, also about how true crime works, and you can find all those over on YouTube. So anyways, lots of things came clear to me this week. One is that the way I deal with things is to try to understand it. So I'm less afraid when I understand what's going on. And we do have a tremendous amount of things coming up here. And I don't want anybody to get the idea that they're going to play nice. Any of this is going to be easy. So do your best to get ready to be hunkered down, okay? Don't make those FEMA trucks your only option. So I think we need to understand about how all of this authority got established around us because now that we're looking at the last couple hundred years, it makes it a little bit easier. I can zoom in on some things that I didn't notice before, okay? They all still likely trace back to the Ashkenazi Jews, okay? That's A-S-H-K-E-N-A-Z-I. And what is interesting, and I will be getting to a lot of things here in the future, because that's a nice thing about being able to do audio, is that I can just plug in the microphone and get going. And I have my new little assistant over on the job site from Bangladesh, and we finally have all of our kinks work out. So any help you could support the channel with is always very much appreciated. So anyway, so yeah, I got a lot of things. This is going to be an ongoing chat, and that was the whole idea from the very beginning. So... Yeah, because I need to get back to this embryo business. I want to give you my analysis of what's going on. I played a bunch of um, audios this week for you to listen from the children's point of view, how this is going with all this trans business. So there's just a lot to get going. So and another key point, which I found fascinating in all of this, back then, around a couple hundred years ago, there was this thing called the Age of Enlightenment and also the age of reason. And there's some really key points in there that I'll be getting back to. Because I've been watching a lot of um, film noir, N-O-I-R, in case I'm not pronouncing it. It's kind of a funky, funky way of acting, okay? You either love it or you don't. And I was watching this one called, um, what was it called? Oh, it was called Highway Dragnet, 1954. And there's a channel on YouTube, it's pretty good, it's called Back in Time Classic Movies, and they have all these movies there. And it was interesting, so I was thinking about how the cops have kept us in check here, you know, the FBI, all these authorities, right? All the ways that they can imprison us. And I'm not going to go into all of it now, because I have in the past. You know, the United States is the largest, you know, country that locks people up, okay? <laughs> Especially those black people. So yeah, so this really is in effect a slave nation and a prison country, okay? So so how law enforcement works here is, is pretty critical and it will be very critical in times coming ahead. 
and I would suggest that you fully understand what your rights are. Nobody has any rights, okay? We never did. That was a facade. Matter of fact, I spent a night in jail. It wasn't even legal. People said, oh, how'd they do that? I said, well, they did it. And it wasn't legal. And people said, well, why don't you sue them? Well, that's not a reasonable approach, okay? Yeah, uh, I had this civil case because when I was going through that horrendous deal with Intel, and, you know, lots of stuff was going on, right? My whole life was being shredded. So I don't know. Some civil case popped up. I didn't know it happened. Some sheriff showed up and served me a warrant. And the lousy attorneys I had led me into a trap. <laughs> they told me that it was only a civil case. And then if I didn't have the $500 for the warrant, that all I had to do, they instructed me specifically, okay, that all I had to do was go down to the jail. And he said, go back, go there around midnight, okay? So I go down to the jail. I get a ride there with my friend around midnight. We go to the front desk and the officers couldn't find my records. So he said, well, we can't find your records. Come back later. So what did I do? I came back later another night, right? Same deal. Midnight. Show up. He found my record because I'd been there the night before, right? Now, really, I probably should not have even gone there <laughs> in the first place, right? So by going there, it helped them find this record. It wasn't even the right record. So, so the officer said, come with me. Well, <laughs> I went with them. I ended up locked up overnight in jail. And the next day, to clear all this up, I was strip searched. I was put in handcuffs. I, was put, I didn't have any shackles on my feet, but they were around my waist. I was wearing an orange uniform or prison garb. And they, too, because they, they wanted me to sign this paper because it was a civil case, signing away my rights. And I said, no, I won't sign that. So they tossed me in this little jail cell on my own for the night. Well, anyway, so the next day they get me out of there and they get me dressed in prison clothes, haul me down to the courthouse. Well, none of this should happen, right? Um, but here's the thing. It can happen, okay? I'm here to tell you it can happen. They got me for two nights in a nut ward. Yeah, they can lock any of us up right now if they want to. And they always have been able to. So let's look at about some, how some of this dynamics got started, okay? So we were, the other day, I was thinking about SS, you know, the letter S. And for some reason, I thought, you know, that's interesting because here we have the Secret Service, you know, which we think of that guards the president. And then we also have the SS from the Nazis, right? SS troops, Nazis, right? So I thought, well, what is the SS? Why is the SS in my head right now? Well, <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Because of thinking about the SS, I ran into the Pinkertons. Now, the Pinkertons was a name that I knew just out of the top of my head, right? Because Pinkertons have been around this country for many years. So how does the SS connect with the Pinkertons? Well, funny you should ask. Pinkerton, interestingly enough, was a Scotsman. There's a connection there. They were also, I got kind of confused at first because um, there was a James Pinkerton who had three sons, John, Allen, and I never tracked down. I'll get to the third son in a day or so. Okay, so he had John and Allen that I know of. And I was wandering around John. I had him confused for Allen for a bit here. And John was a Scottish aquintinarian old book guy, an author. He wrote a bunch of books. One of his books published on 1776, same thing they were inaugurating this country, right? He was a historian 
and an early advocate of dramatic. And I read past that a few times, and then my eyes just kind of went back on that deal because the advocate of the dramatic deal was early eugenics, okay? <laughs> so then I thought, wow, that's John, right? So then I finally got Alan sorted out. Alan is the one who started Pinkerton here in this country, okay? So let's start with Alan. And I found some terrific stories about Alan, about how he got started, what his role in is all this. And also the Pinkertons, just so you know, this also goes in with the U.S. military because the Pinkertons are the proud owners of the uh, some national U.S. military big deal award. You know how they like to give themselves awards, but this is a really big deal one, okay? So anyway, so... Anyway, see, you know, that whole deal with the Nazis, you know, the Ashkenazi Jews, right? So I was looking at how in history did we get into this authoritarian state, okay? And I looked into, there's this thing called the organized investigation of suspicious behaviors has evolved in two directions. One is in the case of detective work, that would be our friends with the Pinkertons, dealing with activities that endanger individual citizens. You can go hire your own detectives, who are usually (laughs) ex-cops. Good luck there. The other intricately linked avenue is in the intelligence, investigating threats to the state. This is where we get warmed up. We're not too involved in the people who are investigating cheating spouses, right? This, This ties into the intelligence here, right? Flowing out of the same front, the modern incarnation of these entwined investigative avenues are largely the creation of two people. In Europe, they had this Eugene Vladek. He may be considered the godfather of the former criminal turned secret agent who was largely responsible for the development of the modern intertwined arts of intelligence gathering and criminal investigation. But stateside, meaning here in the USA, his parallel, no less influential, was Lincoln's spy master during the Civil War, Alan Pinkerton. Connects to, connects to all these fake wars, right? So let's talk a little bit about Alan. Very interesting person. I just love these stories. So he was born to an impoverished family in Glasgow in 1819. <clears throat> That would have been James, his father, who had these three kids. Pinkerton's policeman father died early, and the young son was forced to work. I remember, I'm reading those words, right? I didn't make any of this up. While earning his living as a copper, he grew interested in a pro-democratic movement called charitism, which was keenly watched by British authorities. Another outsider guy, right? In danger of arrest for this political activity, he escaped Scotland and moved to the United States, where he continued to work as a copper near Chicago. Lots of things going on around Chicago, right? Pharaoh Obama hangs out in Chicago. Part of his early legend was burnished by the story that while one day felling trees for wood to make his barrels on a small island, he came upon a group of counterfeiters. Money, money, money associated with a renowned gang called the Bandit of the Prairie, who were meeting there thinking that they were alone. (laughs) So, yeah, he just kind of was out there cutting trees to make these little barrels on this little island, and he runs into these counterfeiters. You start to notice here we've got money uh, money and authority intersecting here, right? 
Pinkerton was single-handedly able to apprehend them and bring them to the mainland in custody. What a guy. He developed a reputation among the locals as an upright citizen and was made... But sensing an opportunity in the private sector, Pinkerton stepped down from the official police force to found a private detective agency along with a lawyer partner... Edward Rucker. Those lawyers, those cops, <laughs> boy, they got me. <laughs> they can get you too. They can get you too. This was not the first private detective, no, this was not the first private detective agency because Vladek over in Europe found the first one in 1833. So Pinkerton would become the best known and most influential. So money and enforcement. I was then looking into, because Pinkerton is said to have been the original, excuse me, I can say, the original reason for the Secret Service founding in this country, and the Secret Service fell into a whole bunch of other things, okay? So let me read you what the Secret Service has to say. They said, their title is, Worthy of of Trust and Confidence. (laughs) Yeah, they are, aren't they? We are one of America's oldest federal law enforcement agencies, originally created in 1865 to stamp out rampant counterfeiting in order to stabilize America's young financial system. (laughs) By the end of the Civil War, nearly one-third of all currency in circulation was counterfeit. Go back to that show I did about the Dick's money. As a result, the country's financial stability was in jeopardy. They're always in jeopardy, aren't they? These gypsy Jews always screwing everybody. To address this concern, the Secret Service was established in 1865 as a bureau in the Treasury Department to suppress widespread counterfeiting. So, all about the money, the cops, and the authority, right? So, this is is a little bit of a backgrounder. And then there's some more colorful stuff about Pinkerton. Pinkerton founded the Pinkerton National Detective Agency, I guess that's PNDA, is a private security guard and detective agency established in the United States by Scotsman Alan Pinkerton in the 1850s and currently a subsidiary of Securitatis AB. It sold to some um, Swiss, not Swiss company, yeah, Swedish company years ago. Pinkerton became famous... (laughs) when he claimed to have foiled a plot to assassinate President-elect Abraham Lincoln, who later hired Pinkerton agents for his personal security during the Civil War. So Pinkerton was with Abraham. Pinkerton's agents performed services ranging from security guards to private military contracting work. Okay. The Pinkerton National Detective Agency hired women and minorities from its founding, a practice uncommon at the time. Good for Pinkerton. Probably those women they were hiring were probably men wearing wigs, right? (laughs) Go start looking through some of those old movies, people. It's pretty fascinating because around the 50s or 60s, you start to see in those film noirs, you start to see the characters getting a little bit taller once they get those growth hormones in there. So, yeah, so... um, Pinkerton was the largest private law enforcement or or organization in the world at the height of its power. Love those Pinkertons, right? Because he had immigrated to the U.S. in 1842. In 1843, he heard... This is where his story gets interesting. 
I don't know how they say he heard. Okay, <laughs> he hears of this Dundee Township in Illinois, 50 miles northwest of Chicago on the Fox River. He built a cabin and started cooperage. He he would gather up copper, is what he did, sending and sending for his wife in Chicago when their cabin was complete. He evidently they say that he snuck off and married this woman. I'll get to her in a minute. So as early as 1844. Pinkerton worked for the Chicago abolitionist leaders, and his Dundee home was a stop on the Underground Railroad. <laughs> Those slaves in the Underground Railroad. Yeah, Pinkerton's pretty hot in the heaviest things, right? Pinkerton first became involved, interested in criminal detective work, while wandering through the wooden groves around Dundee, oh, looking for trees to make barrels. So... After observing, so then he started observing things, and um, he started observing these counterfeiters, and they may have been part of the uh, bandit of the prairie counterfeiters that uh, Pinkerton was first on to. So he got appointed to be a police detective in 1849, 1850. He partnered with that crazy attorney. So anyway, so as the U.S. expanded its territory, railroad transport increased. Okay, that's where they brought in the Chinese and stuff over here to help build those railroads. I think that part is probably true. Pinkerton's agency solved a series of train robberies during the 1850s, first bringing Pinkerton into contact with George McClellan, then chief engineer and vice president of the Illinois Central Railroad, and Abraham Lincoln was at that time the country's lawyers. What is interesting here is how they set up their whole backstories, you know, with all these train robberies, because that's what got me thinking as far as how they how they got us to all accept law enforcement, okay? Because basically, they've always written the laws, and if you pay attention, the laws for us are more severe. And I've talked about this in the past, as far as the laws, like, for example, for crack cocaine in the 70s, put a lot of black men in, in prison. The laws for the white people snorting coke let everybody off for free. Nobody, nobody that I knew went to prison, okay? So they've always intermixed the laws and... To be, to be able to punish us and to be able to lock us up. So watching these old movies, I kept thinking, how did this all get into our minds? Because we're now looking just a couple hundred years back, right? Well, probably through early publications, early radio, whenever they were communicating with us early on, they were planting this idea in our minds that we needed them for our security, right? So that's how they were able to come up with a cop. Because remember, all these stories are stories they're telling us. You know, the stories about the fighting in the saloons back in the cowboy days. They have created this image of we need protection. Because remember, the theme always is the cop is the good one in the end, right? They even come up with cop stories about, you know, the five-year-old kid who nobody comes to his birthday. So he calls the cops behind his mother's back and a whole bunch of cops pull up in the driveway. So, you know, they plant these goodwill cop stories. But on the other thing, we've also been inundated with cop stories. You know, look, look at all the cop stories on TV and stuff. And the cops always win, right? Like all of these, these gangster stories. They don't usually catch them on the crimes, but they get them on the taxes. So what's that telling us is that we could probably murder people and stuff, but they're going to get us on the money, right? 
So that's just my thinking in all of this because I'm just starting thinking about all this. So I'm sure in the next few days I will have a whole lot more to say about it. But yeah, that's how they probably got us with this whole idea of the cops by showing us robbers and vicious people that we needed them to protect us from, right? And we really never needed them at all. <laughs> but we, we all agreed that we needed them, right? So anyway, so he had kind of an interesting part here, according to them, when he was um, doing all these train robberies and stuff, and that's how he met Lincoln. So he had been attending secret meetings in 1859 that had to do with these abolitionists, and they tell these just crazy stories. John Jones and Henry Wagner were two of the abolitionists. At those meetings, Jones, Wagner, and Pinkerton helped purchase clothes and supplies for Brown. For Brown, Jones's wife Mary guessed that the supplies included the suit Brown was hanged in after the failure of John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry. <laughs> Where do they come up with this level of detail? I have no idea. I think some of the writers are actually quite talented. If you look at the show that I did about true crime being fake, I mean, I, I think that probably the writers who did the John Gacy stuff were probably some of the most talented ones. They wrote some really funny lines. They said stuff like John Gacy, one of John Gacy's famous quotes was that his biggest crime was running an illegal, uh, unlicensed cemetery on his property. <laughs> Come on, they write some good stuff. So anyway, so when the Civil War began, you know, the fake Civil War, Pinkerton served as a head of the Union Intelligence Service during the first two years. So yeah, so he was guarding Lincoln, then his agents worked undercover. Pinkerton was quite a guy. I'm not going to read you every bit about the guy because I would hope that you might find it interesting enough to go dig around yourself. And remember, let's remember the old days. You have some questions, just shoot me an email. That's how it'll work. So anyway, so uh, this is where it gets good. Following Pinkerton's service with the Union Army, he continued his pursuit of train robbers, including the Reno gang. He was hired by the Railroad Express companies to track outlaw Jesse James. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. I said I wasn't going to laugh. Outlaw Jesse James, who was really a woman, at his own expense. So he, he said he would go capture Jesse James. Okay. After James was allegedly captured and killed, one of Pinkerton's undercover agents, who was working undercover at the farm neighborhood neighboring the James family, he abandoned the chase. Some considered this failure... Pinkerton's biggest defeat, I guess, not chasing down Jesse James. He also opposed labor unions with a guy. 1872, getting up to the Spanish War of, or Spanish flu of 1918. In 1872, the Spanish government hired Pinkerton to help suppress a revolution in Cuba, <laughs> Cuba, which intended to end slavery and give citizens the right to vote. I always want to help us out with these rights, right? And then, then when we get these fake rights, they've already got them rigged. So, anyway, so Pinkerton is into a lot of stuff, obviously. And interestingly enough, he has a grave thing that looks very phallic-like. So, yeah, so he's running around the Spanish trying to yell about the slaves. Okay, this is good about his wife. Pinkerton secretly married Joan Carfrae, C-A-R-F-R-A-E. She was alive 1822 to 1887. She was a singer... <laughs> from Duddingston in Glasgow. Yeah, he married her in 1842. They remained married until his death. So, how did Pinkerton die? Well, this is a funny story. Funny you should ask. 
and then I'll get back to, I, I'm, I'm working my way up to the SS and the Nazis here, okay, just to lay you a little flavor of Pinkerton. Pinkerton died in Chicago on July 1st, 1884. It is usually said that Pinkerton slipped on the pavement and bit his tongue, resulting in gangrene. Contemporary reports give conflicting causes, such as he succumbed to a stroke, which he had a year earlier, or to malaria, which he had contracted during a trip to the southern United States. At the time of his death, he was working on a system to centralize all criminal identification records, a database, a database now maintained by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. So, Pinkerton has a tomb. It's in Graceland Cemetery in Chicago. Go look it up. See what you think about it. He is also a member of the Military Intelligence Hall of Fame. I don't think they give those out to anybody, right? So, after he died, okay, and I'm working my way up to the Nazis. After his death, the agency continued to operate and soon became a major force against the labor movement developing in the U.S. and Canada. Remember back then, kids worked in factories and stuff, right? So this image changed the image of the Pinkertons because they were in all these other activities, which we all know were probably just little CIA deals. He was involved in, after that, in the 19th and 20th century, Pinkerman, Pinkerton was involved in the Homestead Strike, the Pullman Strike, the Wild Bunch Gang in 1896, the Ludlow Massacre in 1914, and the Loflet Committee from 1933 to 1937. So, despite his agency's later reputation for anti-labor activities, he was heavily involved in pro-labor politics as a young man. So, I don't think that he was any of that stuff, but it sounds good, right? Um, so, after Alan Pinkerton was so famous that for decades after his death, his surname was a slang for a private eye, the Mr. Pinkerton. They were novels by American mystery writer Zenith Jones Brown under the pseudonym as David Fromm. David Fromm, that's somebody that's around here now. We're about the Welsh born amateur. So, yeah, they wrote these detective stories called The Pinkertons. So, yeah, um, I think that Pinkerton, here's what I think they did. And I'll be getting more concrete on this as we continue along this little chat here, okay? So, they considered the assassination of Lincoln, 1865, one of the most infamous events in American history as far as the reconstruction of the South is concerned. That's where I think that movie Gone with the Wind came in to also program us about all that horror there. I mean, the fake deal with the war and stuff. So, few realize, however, that the assassination that took Lincoln's life was not the first attempt on his life. The first attempt to assassinate Lincoln was intended to prevent him from ever becoming president and came shortly before he took office in 1861. The election of Lincoln to the presidency had literally split the country in two. You see where we start to define two different teams here? I did a show about how the teams work. Teams, that's when we that's a very, pretty big point in time here when they decide to split us into these teams. Despite the fact that Lincoln was a much more moderate on the subject of slavery. Yeah, 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 okay. Um, but anyway, so they thought that... Um, there was a split between Lincoln supporters and those who opposed him. So, yeah, I think that 
it was all fake about all this stuff with Lincoln, right? But this sounds like a pretty good story. Um, so they said that one rumor in particular that a devout Lincoln supporter, Alan Pinkerton, a private detective who'd been hired to derail some of the plots to thwart the Philadelphia, Wilmington, and Baltimore Railroad. Pinkerton was really big in trying to uh, make sure the railroads were screwed up and stuff. So um, they, they did things like destroying bridges and railroad lines. And that was supposedly by the secessionists. But, you know, all that stuff is whatever. So what happened, which was interesting, when we get into the CIA here, okay, Lincoln was en route to Washington from his hometown in Springfield, Illinois. He planned a stop in Baltimore for a speaking engagement. And according to the CIA, the intelligence Pinkerton uncovered revealed that during Lincoln's visit, they had whipped up a lot of stuff. There was this Captain Barber who was going to kill Lincoln, this mob, and not really that important to tell you right now because it's all made up. But So anyway, so Pinkerton, Pinkerton convinced that the plot he'd learned of was a serious threat. He met Lincoln at a stop in Chicago and insisted, because remember, he met Lincoln because Lincoln was a lawyer for the railway, okay? This is why it took me a couple of days to kind of get all the people in my head straight. So by the next show, in the next day or so, we'll carry along with these people. So, so Pinkerton stops Lincoln's train while he's out, you know, trying to get... I guess, elected somehow. And he warned them that there were some planned attempts they had, okay? At first, Lincoln dismissed Pinkerton's warning, stubbornly refusing to abandon the stop in Baltimore. However, Lincoln was later, what did he do later here? Let me see here. Lincoln was later informed that other detectives working for Lieutenant General Winfield Scott, commander-in-chief, had uncovered the same plot, independently of Pinkerton. With this knowledge and at his wife Mary Todd Lincoln's urging, Lincoln finally agreed to go instead to Washington. Boy, that Pinkerton, just right in the nick of time, right? Disguised with a beard that he'd later become known for, walking hunched over with a cane, Lincoln arrived in Washington and decamped at the Willard Hotel, where observers gazed in wonder at the bearded, bent figure, a <laughs> thin woman, right? that many would later be surprised to discover was their new president. Back then, they didn't have all this social media, right? So people didn't even know what he looked like. So, in 18, let me see, March 4th, 1861, Lincoln, surrounded by bodyguards and a number of federal regiments, gave his inaugural speech in front of the U.S. Capitol building. Capitol building, the same place they're blabbing about now. I hold that in contempt of universal law and the Constitution of the United States, the laws of these states, blah, 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 okay, form a more per, was to form a more perfect union. That was the whole purpose of the Constitution, I guess, to form a more perfect union of them versus us, right? Anyway, so, so according to one mainstream story, Lincoln was guarded at Ford's Theater by one policeman who left to go get drunk next door. But Pinkerman's bio admits that Lincoln was always guarded by the Union Intelligence Service. As he would expect, that Union Intelligence Service, which became what? The CIA, FBI. And, you know, it's funny about those people because, you know, remember um, the FBI and all the people, Hoover, cross-dressing, they said he was 
um, gay but really trans. Yeah, all that weird stuff, and everybody still trusts them, right? This is how they're always testing us, right? Seeing if we're going to accept these losers. So, anyway, so what happened was was that um, why would you know? Because a lot of this story about Booth and all that doesn't make sense. They put a lot of plots into these stories because that way, then for years, people could argue about why was Booth in the next box to. Lincoln. Why wasn't security there? Well, yeah, well, because they wrote these stories, right? Because it probably implanted into all of our brains as little tiny children that Lincoln got taken out watching a show and had he only had security and not the guy that was drunk next door. Things might have turned out differently, right? If the cops would have been there. <laughs> yeah, okay. Just call the cops. They'll help us. So, Anyway, so yeah, he, uh, the intelligence service that he was on is a predecessor to the U.S. Secret Service. So yeah, so now let's get over to this other SS deal. I believe, and I'll know more in the next few days as I talk more, because this is terrific. I can just kind of turn on the microphone and update you. So the other SS that was on my brain earlier, very interesting. I think, and thinking is not research, so I'll know more later, I think that the connection in time happened with those Enlightenment societies. Then we got the Pinkertons, we got the CIA, we got the FBI, we got all of that, and I believe it's highly possible at this stage that these people here, since the World War II was staged, right, and the World War II was a very significant time in building up... Uh, developing the UN, everything happened around that World War time frame, right? So I believe that if anybody was directing this SS group in Germany, I believe it would probably be the Pinkertons. <laughs> so, let me tell you what I know about the SS, and then you can fill me in with any comments via email, you know, type up things. You don't even, even need to send me any emojis. Just type up a few comments. To see if you think any of this makes sense. So, SS. What does the SS mean? It's abbreviation, and I'm going to really blast this one. Schutzgesell. S-C-H-U-T-Z-S-T-A-F-F-E-L. It means to protective echelon. The black uniformed elite corps and self-described political soldiers of the Nazi party. Founded by Adolf Hitler, also played by Walt Disney, if you look at that um, that guy's Mitchell E. Brooks show channel on YouTube, he shows Walt Disney being played by Hitler. So probably the Hitler we're looking at, probably look at Disney to see what Hitler really looked at. So the Nazi party was founded by Hitler, supposedly, in April, got a four there, 1925. As a personal small bodyguard group, okay? They were originally very small. The SS grew with the success of the Nazi movement and gathering immense police and military powers became virtually a state within a state. The SS, okay? I'm sure I'm probably just mistaken. I, I could be maybe a little bit delusional. I mean, people call me crazy, right? So <laughs> maybe this SS isn't connected, but call me crazy, but I think it does connect, okay? So anyway, so um, they um, 
because they had developed shadowing suspects assigning roles um pinkerton i overlaid this part sorry uh, yeah the secret service um was later established in 1865 yeah i think that they have the nazis and the pinkertons have their hands all over this deal and that's where i think the ss came through so let me get here a little bit to more of the horrors of the ss remember the ss were i watched all those world war ii documentaries the ss really left an impression on my brain that's why i started connecting why do we have the ss here and why do they have the ss there so anyway, so um, after the SS started here, after the assassination of McKinley, okay, the, the Schwanz, I'm just going to call them the Nazi SS, okay? It was a major paramilitary organization under Adolf Hitler and later throughout Germany occupied Europe during World War II. So it became party, it was started off as just... Um, party volunteers and they got it Himmler supposedly in 25 gave it its new name we don't know about that of course in Germany happens to be home of that huge U.S. military base happens to be home of NATO so from the time of the Nazi party's rise to power until the regime's collapse in 1945 the SS was the foremost agency of security surveillance and terror within germany and germany occupied europe so yeah i think that's the ss i, I think that the two main um there were two main groups of the ss there were the general ss and the armed ss the general ss was responsible for enforcing the racial policy of nazi germany and general policing whereas the other ss consisted of combat units within Nazi Germany's military. A third component of the SS, the SF, I can't even try to pronounce this one, is called the Death's Head Unit, Death, D-E-A-T-H. It ran the concentration camps and extermination camps. Additionally, subdivisions of the SS included the Gestapo and those, um, S, they called them SD organizations. They were tasked... People sound like real school kids, don't they? Just choir boys. <laughs> they were tasked with the detection of actual or potential enemies of the state. The neutralization of any opposition, policing the German people for their commitment to German ideology, and providing domestic and foreign intelligence. SS. And I will interject here. I believe, and you can look at my show about um, how I think the um, A1 will impact things, also the mass surveillance. I believe a lot of what's going to happen ahead is going to be a foot thing, okay, meaning door-to-door -door campaign. That's what I think they're getting cooked up, is to go door-to-door. -door. I've been thinking that for, well, a very long time now. And they, they would have learned this door-to-door -door stuff by their friends, the Nazis, okay. So, yeah, so I don't know. I think it's the Nazis, and they, um, the SS was the organization most responsible for the genocidal killing of an estimated 5.5 to 6 million Jews and millions of other victims during the Holocaust. Members of all of its branches committed war crimes and crimes against humanity during World War II, 1939 to 1945. 
the SS was also involved in commercial enterprises and exploited concentration camp inmates as slave labor. Slaves, see, we got those slaves, right? After Nazi Germany's defeat, the SS and the Nazi Party were judged by the International Military Tribune at Nuremberg, another fake event, to be a criminal organization. Yeah, all these stories they tell us about mobsters and stuff, these people are running a criminal organization. Um, I mean, you know, poppies from Afghanistan getting everybody here on drugs. This is, these are criminals here, so I, I don't know what to tell you right now. <laughs> I think that I think we still got our gypsy Jews. I think we still got our criminals here. I still think it's all about the money. And there's also this weird deal about some sort of Pinkerton activity academy and i need to get to that third son whatever the heck they're up to i mean one of them was over here the other one was into eugenics i can't imagine what that third son of this james pinkerton must have been like so anyway so i'll be chatting with you later today or tomorrow it's wonderful to be able to just hook up the microphone and just start talking so i'll get to the bottom of these pinkerton people but right now looking like they were the original way we got our surveillance state going so be safe out there chat with you later goodbye for now